Welcome to the Dive into Reiki podcast. I'm Natalie, and together we will enjoy a series of conversations that explore the journey of Reiki practitioners and teachers from all lineages. 100% Reiki-focused stories, 100% human. Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Dive into Reiki podcast. Uh, today, I have a wonderful guest, Heather McCutcheon. She's the owner of Here to Rob, a licensed massage therapist, Reiki practitioner, and teacher and author. And she wrote a book about how to go from an ad executive to a spiritual healer. So I'm actually thinking of reading that as I also have the same background. She's the president and founder of the Reiki Brigade, a group of more than 20 volunteers who conduct outreach events to introduce the benefits of Reiki via presentations and one-on-one demonstrations. Since 2011, they have offered more than 5,000 10-minute Reiki demos to Chicago police officers, homeless, veterans, medical students, faculty, incarcerated individuals, survivors of domestic violence, and attendees of trade shows and corporate wellness events. And that gets like a huge, huge heart on my side. I found it such a beautiful initiative. She's also approved to offer CEUs to massage therapists, LCPCs, and LCSWs for classes and workshops. In addition to writing her book, she has articles featured in numerous trade publications. Heather, welcome. I'm so excited. We get to chat for the first time. We're getting to meet each other. Thank you so much for saying yes. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Love your podcast. Um, one of the things I wanted to mention before we even get started here is I love the tagline, which is 100% Reiki focus, 100% human. Because when I started, was first introduced to Reiki, and I was looking around for material, and we didn't have all of these resources, you know, 13, 14 years ago, there weren't all these podcasts, and there weren't so many places to go for information. You mostly had to read books um, written by experts and people who had studied for such a long time. And I found that when I read them, it was all this fantastic information. It was all very educational, but the people did not include their foibles for the most part. And so I felt like they were operating up here and here I was down here struggling. And this just seemed like this insurmountable gap. And I love that part of your thing is, you know, we all make mistakes. We're all fumbling along. You know, we've got these precepts and we're all doing our best. And yet, you know, the Reiki's happening and it's wonderful for everyone. So I really appreciate that. Um, Thank that, you, and I appreciate that, that because when I read your bio, the last that comes to me is like, you know, vulnerability. So I really appreciate it because I think I went through that as well. And many of us uh, practicing Reiki, especially the first year, we just feel like, who am I to practice this beautiful thing, right? Like, I, I don't have to give. Am I good enough? We all are good enough and we will all make mistakes. Even that perfect person after 40 years of practice, they still sometimes make mistakes, which I find a good reminder to be kinder to ourselves. Perfect. So that, yes. that's such a beautiful beginning. Um, I'm going to follow up with a question I ask everyone. What was your first encounter to Reiki, uh, with Reiki? Well, um, the universe had a hard time getting me on board. So I was, <laughs> I, was a, I was very slow on the uptake. So I had a number of introductions before it ever took. So I uh, left corporate America to become a massage therapist. It's a 16-month program, massage therapy, and um, anatomy, physiology, technique, ergonomics, all these great things. Um, and then there was a three-day section on Eastern philosophy and energetic modalities. And I went in there very open-minded and curious. Um, my teachers had been teaching me all this great stuff. I 
was loving my new life, having stepped away from corporate America, which I had found really stressful, um, to now I'm going to be a massage therapist and help people. So I came in very enthusiastic and I thought open-minded. Um, but they did that exercise where you you rub your hands together and then yes. you pull them apart and you come in and you feel the energy ball and you push and pull your energy ball. And I didn't feel anything. And I really felt kind of silly as I was looking around the room at everybody doing this. I was like, oh my gosh, I, I left my job and now I'm in this group of people that are doing this nutty thing. And I kind of um, did not participate in that three-day class. I just kind of shut down about it. And right around the same time, a, a good friend of mine whom I love, um, a very artsy, creative person who was always, you know, bubbling about something or other, got into Reiki and she, we're just at a social gathering, you know, put her hands on me. Can't you feel the heat? Isn't that awesome? And I still was like, you know, no, I don't know what you're talking about. Here's this again. What are these people doing? Um, so I had several introductions to it. Um, as I became a massage therapist and started working one-on-one -on -one with people, I started to get energetic information from them. Um, I, I had uh, pain. I, I had one woman come in who needed a knee replacement. She had some really severe pain in her knee. And as I was giving her a massage, not even had no introduction to energy work beyond massage school, which I didn't pay attention to, um, I'm working on her and my knee just buckled and I had this really sharp pain coming down my knee. And I said, it's, you know, it's from here to here. And this is what it feels like. And she said, that's my knee pain. And I was like, well, you may keep that to yourself. I'm not interested in having that over here. I had people come in with grief, um, heartbreak, pain, and I would feel this heaviness in my chest. Um, and at one point I started to have heart palpitations, like Ooh. very erratic, um, arrhythmic, my heart pounding out of my chest. I can't breathe. I can't catch my breath. And that I thought was related to my training for um, my first triathlon. I had never been a runner before. And um, in my, you know, training, I thought my heart is, you know, maybe overworking. I don't know. Um, until I went to my doctor, she did an EKG. She said, you're totally fine. I was like, you know, I took some anatomy classes. I know the heart is an important organ. Mine's not working correctly. Something's wrong. She's like, no, your tests are fine. You're fine. Go home. And then I got to the point in my training where I went to a massage therapist because my legs and my hip were tight and he leaned his elbow into my hip and he said, you know, you've got a ton of energy stored up in here. And I was like, why are you saying that? And he said, because when I lean in, your my heart is pounding out of my chest and I can't breathe. And I started to occur to me that my episodes of heart arrhythmia were happening when I was in my office working with my runner clients, leaning into their tight muscles, that this is like electricity energy coming through and zapping my heart, which ordinarily beats because of an electrical impulse. Um, so despite the fact that I could feel other people's pain, my heart was going out of whack, I could sometimes feel people's emotions. I still thought this is like an unpleasantness that goes along with working in close proximity with people. And I just... Wow. I, I thought back to my class and they, you know, the one that I hadn't paid attention to. And they said, you know, ground yourself and, you know, don't take that in. And I was, I did that and I took deep breaths and that helped. It was still a very long time, an embarrassingly long time before I figured out this is a way that I could help people, that this wasn't just, you know, people stuff bouncing off me is not the only dynamic that could be happening here.
And it actually was when I, um, my life fell apart. Um, and it's funny how when things are going well, you're not really receptive, but when things go terribly and you desperately need help, you're like, oh my gosh, anything help. I, yeah. So, I hear you. Yeah. Yeah. So I had a, a really unpleasant experience, which in retrospect and in proper perspective, one of the best things that ever happened to me, but at the time, horrifying. Um, I had been dating a guy for a year and a half that I thought I was going to marry and we never fought. You know, I always thought abusive relationships were when someone hit you or told you you were fat or stupid or whatever. None of that. We got along great, but something felt off and I couldn't quite put my finger on it. And over time, I got kind of just more uncomfortable and I couldn't quite figure out what was going on. And I finally ended the relationship and then figured out that this guy was a very troubled, very damaged person. And he was leading a double life. And the entire time I was with him for a year and a half, when I thought we had this great relationship and I thought I was going to marry him, he was kind of planning to destroy me in every way he could think of. Oh God. Um, he was gaslighting me. He was telling people that I was crazy. Um, he, and then when I got, when I figured out what was going on and I got so upset and I was crying and yelling, he was like, see what I've been dealing with. And it was never had been there before. It was only because I had figured out what was happening. Oh um, yeah. So, you know, emotionally, psychologically, financially, in terms of my business, all the things he tried to destroy and take away from me. And it was very, very difficult. Um, it's not only I'm not going to marry this man, so heartbreak, but my future is not going to be what I thought it was devastating. But more importantly, I don't know how to do life. I have spent a year and a half with this person with no idea what our relationship was or what was going on. Like, how stupid am I that that has happened? And of course, I realized afterwards that people are in those relationships sometimes for decades and can't get out of them. So I consider myself fortunate that I did make the decision that I was uncomfortable and I had to go. Um, but it, it was devastating and he was a wealthy person and he hired people to follow me around and I was afraid for my life. Like a, a lot of very bad things happened. Um, oh, sorry. yeah, you know, again, it was a finite amount of time. It was incredibly educational. Yeah. So in that time when I like really was having a hard time getting out of bed and breathing and getting through the day. Um, and trying new things like, you know, he's laughing and buying drinks and I'm crying and saying all these terrible things. And people are like, they, he got all my friends, like everyone I thought would be my support system sided with him. So I suddenly found my social calendar very empty. And, um, I just had to set out trying to build a new life for myself, just like from scratch. What, you know, what do I do? Who am I? Um, I don't even, I don't know how to pick people. I don't know what's going on. So I ended up. I went to some classes on meditation. I was taking yoga classes, just anything trying to like feel better and silence the mind chatter and survive this. And I had during that time, two separate people put their hands on me. One, a yoga instructor just at the end of class came and touched my forehead. And I had been in class, you know, just ruminating over all these terrible things, you know, just I'm spending an hour in yoga class, I'm doing something healthy, but I really can't focus on this. She came up and did something like that. And when I left that class, I was floating. And I drove down the street on my way home. And it just felt like the world was perfect. 
everything was perfect oh. the way it should be. There's garbage on the side. That's where that's supposed to be. I feel calm. I feel it blissful and at peace and everything's perfect. And I was like, what was that? And my thought, even in the car that early was, how did she do that? And if she can do that, can anyone do that? Can I do that? And then why isn't everyone doing that for everyone? And I had that thought. And I did, when I was ready, a couple of weeks later, try to track her down and ask her. And she was no longer with the Park District teaching yoga classes. I could oh. never find her. It was a very ethereal woman who came into my life as this angelic presence and then was gone and I couldn't get her. But then a while later, um, I went to a meditation class. And same thing, I, I went into the class with a heavy, tight knot in my chest, feeling just really kind of sick to my stomach. And I just got to get through this. And these, this woman put her hands on me and I left there just really blissful and happy. And same thought, this is amazing. Laying on of hands is a real thing. More people need to know about this. And I read a bunch of books. I talked to a lot of people. I landed on Reiki. I'm going to be honest with you because of the brand recognition. <laughs> I was like, it makes sense. You're not going to choose something. No one knows what it is, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm a massage therapist. I'm going to yeah. study something, incorporate it into my practice. I'm going to pick something that's popular and is going to be easier to yeah. um, have people catch on to. Um, so I did go and take uh, Reiki classes. And my experience was that with that was this is as close as I've come. And I have since had experiences with people who were in that level of suffering that after a session felt as I felt. And I was like, this is so important. There are so many people in the world having a hard time. And of course, in, in retrospect, recognizing that that guy that I had been with had been incredibly traumatized as a child. And we can continue to go around and try and help people who are victims of people who are abusive. Or we can start trying to help the people who are abusive, who are also, you know, I mean, it's a, it's a chain. <laughs> it's a cycle. So. Um, as soon as I had access to Reiki, my objective became, I would like more people to know about this. I was so resistant to it. I felt so foolish about being so resistant. People tried, the universe tried to gently incorporate this into my life when I was having none of it. And the universe was like, okay, here we go. I think it's also the way people communicate Reiki, right? Instead of saying like, again, it takes the anger, the worry away so we can be more compassionate. We sometimes creates such a story around Reiki than then people who are more into like skeptic, we have a hard time getting to it, you know? Right. I remember when they told me like, yeah, you place your hands and everything gets solved. I'm like, that makes no sense in my head. It took me a long time to really deepen my practice. Yes. And partly because of the way in society we're mired in the physical world. We don't have, and, and certainly in, you know, Western society, yeah. we're mired in that physicality and um, it's just really unfortunate. Like, how do we make our way back to more metaphysical concepts, more mind-body concepts? And, you know, you've been in advertising. I've been in advertising. It's surprising to me how many people like hospitals or medical practices talk about we treat the whole person, mind, body, spirit. But they, if you talk to them about Reiki, they don't want to hear it. That's weird. How are you addressing the spirit? Like, you know, complementary therapy isn't just diet and exercise. It's all these other things. There's sound therapy, there, you know, all the things. Um, so I just think it's interesting that they use all that language that applies to what we do 
and they're missing some big chunks of it. It seems to me. Sometimes they think about mental health, which is very different than that big mind, which is like, again, that spirit mind, which is a little bit of a different thing. And and there's, yeah, therapy helps, but it doesn't go all the way there. It's a different, yeah. It's, yeah. If you talk about like this different plane, now let's talk about consciousness, state of mind. Then you go, either you go with hackers, biohackers, or you're crazy. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But but I'm so glad that at the end you, you succumbed to Reiki. You were like seduced by it. Uh, and I think, so if you think about your life now and your life before, what will be the biggest change that you feel happened? Um, I would say that I'm much more mindful. I'm much more aware. I mean, when I think back to the person that was involved in that life um, and those groups, just totally clueless about what was going on all around me. Um, and by extension in the world all around me, there are people suffering, hurt people, hurt people. And I, I mean, we talk about people who have privilege. I felt like I did have some privilege and therefore I didn't see it. But as soon as I kind of slipped and was suffering, then a lot of people used me as their punching bag. And I was like, wow, I did not realize this many people were having such a hard time. And it seems like the solution for a lot of people is fight their way to the top and try and be in that privilege. And I think the solution is why don't we start helping people let go of their trauma? And then, you know, I, the Reiki Brigade is about offering Reiki to people. Our tagline is peace through energy healing. I think of Reiki not just offering one individual comfort, but then that individual then behaves differently and that affects everyone around them. And there's a ripple effect. So it's, it's, individuals and families and communities and society as a whole that benefits even from one person feeling better. So that's beautiful. And I couldn't go to the Ricky Brigades, but before that you mentioned something beautiful, uh, offering healing to the victim, but also to the person who committed the abuse because they're also suffering. So very few people, for example, when I teach Reiki training, I'll say like, imagine that you could give Reiki to politicians, everybody closed down politicians. No. And in my head, yeah. we would go to world peace if we had all the politicians giving them Reiki all the time, right? Yes. So how did you come to that conclusion? Like, it's not just the victims who should receive uh, Reiki support, but also the other side. Well, because anyone who is being abusive to anyone has been abused themselves. That's why they behave that way. So if you are able to see beyond the circumstance that you're in, this person just committed some kind of crime against me and look back at why they're behaving that way, there's always a story of trauma behind that. And then if you could help that person feel better, they might stop treating people that way. So again, if we're not just looking at the people who got punched in the face, but who's doing the punching, I think that's a much more, it's the same as the, um, what's the one about stop pulling bodies out of the river and go up and see who's throwing them in. Like go upstream and figure out what the problem is and work there. So I just really wanted to focus on that, to, to teach that and acknowledge that and work towards that. I, I love that. And it takes a lot of God and, and like to go ahead and do that. So I really appreciate you also sharing that with everyone, because I think sometimes we think of Reiki as this la-la land where everything is pretty and perfect. And I think Reiki is so much more than that, right? It's really a way to go into whatever horrible situation and being able to support the healing of others who are in that the space that you're hurting so bad that then they hurt other people. So 
you finally succumb to Reiki, get Reiki training, and then suddenly, how did you come up with the idea of the Reiki Brigade? Just really early on, that was my passion, and it was what I wanted to do. Um, I got together with a group of people, and we formed the Midwest Reiki community, and the main purpose of that was to be, as you're coming out of these Reiki classes, some people were going home to a home environment where there wasn't receptivity to that, so there's no community. So they're just then alone and people were just kind of putting their Reiki on a shelf and not practicing, not talking about it, not working with anyone. And we really thought that was a shame. So what we wanted to do was create and what we still do now all this, all these years later, um, host Reiki shares where people can come and ask questions and trade and, you know, share their language and learn new things. I learned this from that person. Oh, I took my classes over there. This is how we do it. Just sharing of information. But a safe environment to come in and practice your Reiki skills, practice your Reiki language, receive Reiki, give Reiki, build your confidence, etc. So as soon as we started that, and the focus was on building community, my thought was, I'm going to be the outreach, you know, person for this. And as many people as want to are going to come with me to places where people really need Reiki and offer that. And just from the very beginning, that was my thing. I love it. I And I, I have to say, I admire how brave you are, right? Because I come from an environment where people thought it was like witchcraft and it took me a long time to be able to be outspoken. I was like keeping my Reiki personality in the closet for probably a decade of my practice. So I really appreciate that. And also, for example, I reach out to Fashion Week, Soho House, a lot of things probably more related to what I do during some like my freelance or work or day work. But you went actually for police officers, uh, homeless. And like so some like, and for me, you know, there is a lot about defunding the police. Or like there's this kind of stuff. And that's why really when I saw like, oh, that's such a brilliant idea. How did it come up to you to do that with police officers? Well, my brother uh, was a police officer, okay. um, not in the city of Chicago, but um, I understand that world. I understand how stressful it is. Um, I certainly can watch the news and I can see there's a lot of violence going around. I live in the city of Chicago. We have a lot of shooting. We have a lot of gang activity. Police officers are in danger on a daily basis. And certainly we've had some incidents where civilians, you know, maybe people who have committed crimes, maybe people who haven't have been shot by police officers. And I can see there's a division. Like the, it's really becoming a duality of which side are you on? Um, are you on the side of the young kids of color who are, you know, over incarcerated in terms of we have a juvenile detention center here. It's almost all black boys in there. Um, or are you on the side of the police officers and law and order? And I am on the side of let's reduce trauma. Everybody in this equation is experiencing trauma. People who become police officers are having traumatic experiences on a regular basis. And until recently, it was not acknowledged. It was not acceptable for them to um, say that they're having a problem with it. If they had to discharge their weapon and that traumatized them, they had to pretend like it didn't. If their partner got shot and their life was in you know, danger, they had to pretend like that didn't matter. And people would get desk jobs or lose their job by admitting that they needed help. This was considered a weakness. And as we know, that's not a sustainable system. No. So now it's it's getting tighter and tighter and you know, protect and us and them and people are getting hurt. It's not okay. So I really, we also have in the city of Chicago, one of the highest um, suicide rates among police officers. I think we had six or eight suicides last year of police officers, many of whom shoot themselves in uniform in their car at work. 
which I feel like is a statement. Yeah. Of this is really, really hard. It's hard. And I mean, you add to that what's going on in the news and the public opinion. Um, you know, we have um demonstrations and the police have to go out there and make sure that people are safe while they're demonstrating against the police and you know, people throw things at them, et cetera. So you could be a wonderful police officer out there really wanting to do good. But as soon as you put the uniform on, you're one of them. So I just really am sympathizing with how difficult a situation this is for everybody. And I want to offer help to everybody. And I will say the Chicago Police Department has really come a long way, just even in the 10 years we've been doing this. Um, in terms of putting together some wellness for their officers, recognizing that mental health for police officers is paramount for their own health and well-being and for the health of well-being of everyone in the community. As these people are walking around carrying guns and getting into dangerous situations, they need to be centered and healthy. So kudos to them for that. And I think you said something very, very important, right? When people receive Reiki and they take care of their mental health, they're centered and then you're actually helping what other people see as the other side, because I've been in a society without police function and it didn't work in Venezuela. Like I can tell you, it doesn't work because humans are not that peaceful and organized by nature, right? And right. some people get drunk and do things. So I think what you say is also very beautiful. Like we, when we're a Reiki practitioner, we have to stop seeing the division, right? And have that compassion and, and work on every side, but it's important. Yeah, I still have my fantasy of offering Reiki to the presidents. Uh, but that's one day it will happen. <laughs> you know? um, I want to say one more thing while yeah. we're still talking about police is that um, up until very recently, their solution has been, well, they need more training and we need more legislation. And you cannot train or legislate away PTSD or knee jerk trauma when people are in dangerous situations. No amount of training and no amount of rules are going to prevent people when they go into fight or flight. So it has to be addressed from a getting centered and getting peaceful and having it be response instead of reaction. Um, and I think they are figuring that out. And I'm so grateful. And I'm so grateful for the work you do. And if you think about it, even us, we are breaking practitioners and many times we're triggered in the street or the supermarket. And we respond kind of aggressively, like if we had a bad day, we didn't sleep. So, and that's with probably something that is not in danger of life and we react so fast and so subconsciously, right? So I think I think also bringing that self-awareness and that awareness of what's happening versus judging so fast is so, so important. So I'm really, but you have done 5,000 mini sessions. That is amazing. Actually, I have a presentation coming up and I, I did the math, including the more recent events. It's closer to 6,000 now. Um, it's, they're 10 minute sessions, they're short sessions, but yeah, it's been about 12 years of a bunch of volunteers and I going out, um, to events. They're either wellness events that are kind of created by the groups, or I've called up and said, Hey, we'd love to give you Reiki. And so it's just a special Reiki related event. And we go out and we offer Reiki to as many people as possible um, just to give them a tangible experience of their fundamental energetic nature. Almost always they get out of the chair feeling better than when they sat down and they recognize that and they walk away recognizing that this is a way to approach wellness. And that's that's my goal. I'm not out there looking to heal everybody. I just want to kind of give them that information in a very tangible way instead of handing out flyers or talking, you know, as I said, I was very reluctant to receive this information. And I wonder if someone had given me, 
you know, a 10 minute session where I felt, you know, I mean, it was until I had those two experiences where I did feel tangibly better. I was like, oh my gosh, this is so important. So I love to be able to do that, um, to be able to have them experience it. Yeah. And I think, as you said, like Ricky has to be experienced because the way you may talk your head out, but the experience, the touch is really what uh, makes the difference. And I used to do the 10 minute format. It works great. Like it's amazing what you can do in 10 minutes. So I have two questions more regarding outreach. The first one is, how do you make it in a way that is sustainable, right? So a lot of people, we start with Ricky shares, a lot of energy at the beginning. And then after six months, one year, two years, it's like, I'm done with this. So how did you find the balance or, or a system that you have been able to do it for over, what, 12, 13 years already? Um, are you talking about the outreach or the... Yeah, the outreach, the brigades and all of that. Well, it's funny you should ask that. Um <laughs> I've had a lot of people from around the country, as I've had these opportunities to address groups, um, call me up and ask me, how do you do it? I want to do it. Um, I did put together a course that has some instructions. Here's what I've learned in 12 years. Hopefully this will help you, you know, not hit some obstacles that I've hit. This go more smoothly for you. You'll have successful events much earlier on if you take what I've learned and go out there with it. Um, so I offer that up to people. Um, I'm now forgetting the question. Sorry. Oh, it's okay. And I'll, actually, that's great to know because I'll put the link uh, to the course on the website. Okay, the, great. The podcast notes. Uh, a little bit, how do you keep yourself like sustainable? How do you make it that you can actually not get tired, not get drained, that you can still do it? Because for me, one thing I always point out, consistency is key. Uh, consistency, if you have a Ricky circle, if you have a Ricky training, like you need to be consistent. Like it doesn't take, it always takes six months to a year and a half to really build something. So how do you do it in a way that you can be consistent and not burn out doing your outreach effort? The outreach for me, um, it's a passion of mine. I believe in it so strongly. I enjoy it so much when we go and do these events. Sometimes it's very frustrating. I hit a lot of doors, et cetera. But I, I joke that it's kind of a compulsion. I don't stop. The volunteers call me the Energizer Bunny or you're the Reiki I activist. I, for some reason... You know, I watch the news. I guess what it is, is things are happening in the world that are upsetting. Every time I watch the news and there's, you know, what's happening in Ukraine or there's a shooting in Chicago or, you know, something, some violence happens. I think people's natural urge is what could I do to help? I can't do anything to help. And I think I'm going to do what I can with what I have where I am. And this is what I can do. And this is what I do. And every time I see something that is upsetting and I think, oh my gosh, the world is a dangerous place. There's people are being harmed. I think we have an event next week and I'm going to go do what I can do. And it keeps me going. It sustains me. Um, what I had started to say earlier, and then I lost where we were, um, people call me from around the country and they want to know how I've done this. And they're very interested and they're very complimentary. And then they figure out that I'm not getting paid and I have not ever gotten paid. And then they drop off. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I imagine uh, it was free because when, when I saw the kind of person homeless victims of, I imagine it was like a completely free outreach. Right. It, it has been totally free. We've never charged the people receiving the Reiki. Um, I originally paid for the, you know, I paid for our logo, I pay for our banners, I pay for all the stuff. Um, and I put in obviously all my time and it's become a very significant part-time job. Only very recently have I incorporated the Reiki Brigade and now I have a board of directors. And I know in your intro, you said I'm the, the president and founder. I am actually the founder and executive director now of <laughs> a not-for-profit. Um, so 
as I mentioned, the Chicago Police Department has now put wellness you know, as a priority, they have an enormous budget for wellness for officers. And I'm in negotiations with the Chicago Fire Department and first responders, and we might be incorporated into that. Um, And also there's other organizations that are able to contribute and I'm going to be applying for grants, et cetera. So hoping to transition, um, you know, I'm a massage therapist. That's how I pay my bills. And then I've done this Reiki Brigade stuff, volunteer all this time. Um, hoping to transition because it's becoming a bigger and bigger job. So less massage and more Reiki Brigade. So um, of course, it was a little frustrating for me when I thought that people really wanted to help. And then when they found out it wasn't a very lucrative business, they dropped out. But I am happy now to say, (laughs) I now have experience founding it out for profit. And so that could be part of the help I could offer people going forward. So I, I, I love that you share that. Uh, for me, two things come to mind. First of all, outreach is outreach. When you learn to organize these charging on or not charging, it will work, all your skills. But I think also as Reiki practitioners in my life, every time I offer either mini sessions or full session for free, it's come back to me 300 times in clients. Like I have one of my favorite clients, uh, one kind of client council, I had paid for the room. I saw this girl in the hall. I'm like, hey, Free Reiki session. I already had the hour. Like I, I, she became my client, but she, I never even sold it. Like so, it's funny how sometimes we're going to Reiki like like this, you know, with the heart a little bit closed, and like it's a spiritual business. It's never gonna be your regular business. So for me, I'm I'm surprised because outreach in my head is always for free. Like all my Soho House, all my Fashion Week, those things I always did to spread the word about Reiki. So I, I think. Well- yeah, it's a good example also for people, not all the time, but to sometimes spread the word, as you say, it's just easier to place your hands than doing a whole speech. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's interesting. And I have this conversation with my Reiki students, too. Um, there are several hospitals, uh, some of the top hospitals, Cleveland Clinic, Mayo Clinic, have Reiki programs. Um, and I want to say there's 10, I'm not going to remember the name I'm off the top. I have a slide in my, um, in my classes that I show and they've had a Reiki program for like 15, 20 years. And I called all of those hospitals to find out more about their Reiki programs. And with the exception of the Cleveland clinic, all of them rely on volunteers to give the Reiki inside the hospital. And I find that frustrating because, you know, the dietitian is getting paid, the oncologist is getting paid, the anesthesiologist is getting paid, the Reiki practitioner is some nice lady who comes in once a week. And I don't think that, I mean, it's wonderful that Reiki people have big hearts and they want to give of their time, but it's not going to be readily available to the public until it is a viable career choice, much like if you needed chiropractic work and chiropractic work was done on a volunteer basis, you're not going to find anyone. So if there's a bunch of Reiki practitioners out there with shingles out saying you can come here and get Reiki, it's going to be available and anyone can go find it and get it. Um, and then people are like, well, what do you mean? You give Reiki away all the time. That's what the Reiki Brigade does. Well, yeah, but those are 10-minute sessions. <laughs> yeah, those are, those are mini sessions. That's not, yeah. I, I'm with you too, especially when I see the bills, the hospital bills. You know, I, I think like, okay, you guys are like even charging like $20 for a glass of water. And then you don't pay the Reiki. I think for me, like we have to learn to have a balance. We have to be in the promotion. And as you said, there are mini sessions, there are 10 minute sessions. They're really getting the word out. And then that actually builds a clientele for Reiki. So yeah, and then bigger programs should be paid. And hopefully one day I did find out we're actually refunded by HSA, HSA and FHA. I almost, you know, those saving programs. 
those health saving programs, actually Reiki people can be refunded and can be paid with that. They just need like a doctor prescription. So that's the good news. Okay. I did not know that. No, I, for, just for massage, people have used that. I did not know that for Reiki. But the um, doctor needs to prescribe it in a way to give an authorization. And then, so I just found that out. I think that if we spread the word of that, that may help us as well. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. It's always been um, a little tricky because once you're getting um, compensated by those large organizations, then that comes, it seems like with a little bit of oversight. So now there's a doctor's prescription. And then what does that doctor know about Reiki? And what does he say? So it's the same thing as like, certification. We don't have like a third party governing body saying, this is what the standards are. You've been trained appropriately. Here's your, you know, here's your um, licensure, your certificate. Now you are a Reiki person. We have teachers teaching however they teach and they give a certificate at the end, but it's very individualized how the training works. And as much as I think it would really improve our credibility if we could all be on the same page of here's how we do it, it would also really limit our flexibility. And I certainly don't want anybody, any board made up of medical people telling me how I can and can't practice Reiki? Like, what if they said, you know, okay, you can talk about this as a, a gentle, relaxing modality, but I don't want any talk about spirits. Don't mention that at all. You know, I, I don't want to be limited in that way. And so it would be lovely to be reimbursed by insurance, but I don't want anyone telling me how to do my practice. So I'm, I'm there with you because at the end, this is a spiritual practice. So to regulate it, but I think also then is where as Reiki practitioner, we have to stop using words like diagnosis. And, uh, you know, I'm going to diagnose oh. what you have. I'm going to heal. But <laughs> there is, there is, that's like some people, I remember a person was doing a me a body scan. I'm scanning your bones. I'm scanning your muscles. So sometimes we use medical terms in our practice that may also be misleading. So for me, this is a spiritual practice, right? It has a lot of healing at all levels, but I'm with you. I, I don't want someone telling me or charging me five to $8,000 a year to teach or practice because then I'm out of a business, you know? Yeah. I'm yeah. not going to just work and give all the money to the government. Who else is going to tell me you need to work with this system versus the one I work? So right. I think it's probably like, we're going to have to be as individuals, like really be careful the way we communicate, the way we, that, and build community. I think what you were saying, we need community to practice and train. And I think community is the most important thing. Well, and so of course the Reiki shares are wonderful for people to check in live and meet people and, you know, practice and learn. But I, again, I want to emphasize how valuable it's been for all of the podcasts that are available. Um, you, Andrea Kennedy, who does the um, Beyond the Reiki Gateway um, the summits that come up that are um, available globally via Zoom um, and recorded. It's so, there's such fantastic resources. I mean, I've been doing this a really long time and I learn something every time I'm watching one of these events because it's somebody else's perspective, someone who is trained by someone else. And it's just so um, mind expanding and practice broadening to have all of these resources available. And you had mentioned earlier when you first started that you were reluctant to kind of put yourself out there. When we first started the Midwest Reiki community, we immediately got a Facebook presence and, and it's got thousands of members now. Um, but we interviewed some people, um, women who had been practicing Reiki for 20 years. And at the time we were brand new. So, you know, we're looking for their wisdom and their experience. And they said, don't take my picture. Don't post anything anywhere. They were afraid of, you know, the, the same, oh, that's witchery or whatever. And this is only like 12 years ago. And we just decided as a group, we're not going to do that. And I'm so grateful that all these other Yolanda Williams um, yeah, with her uh, 
Reiki, um, Reiki. Reiki Radio. Yeah. Just decided, you know what? We're doing it. We're going out there. And so collectively, it's a it's a chorus of voices. And I just find it so supportive for anybody who's learning about Reiki right now. Maybe never heard of it. Maybe get a session. Maybe come take a class. But now you can say, look, here's all of these people behind you, um, helping you, supporting you, providing you with information and resources. It's just so great. I, I love that. I, I think for me, like... It's probably like seven, eight years where I became like one person. Like before I was an advertising persona or the Reiki teacher and none of them were completely real. And then I integrated and it's fantastic. And also people's perception has changed as well. Although in some movies, we're a little bit of a joke now. I don't know if you saw, there was one movie on Netflix. It's like, what do you do as a professional? We can be so bad. Don't be a Reiki trainer. I was laughing my heart out. Yes, but, I saw that. But I think also... <laughs> What happens is a lot of people, you know, they're moved through certification a little too fast. Reiki one, Reiki two, Reiki three, in three months, here's your paper certificate and your Reiki master. And I think also those people with the best intention don't have that depth of practice. So, you know, and they go around and and with the best intention. But I think for me, also part of the podcast is like, you need to practice this daily. You actually need to practice. The training is great. Most amazing experience but you need to practice every day. So that leads me, what is your daily practice? Like, if, tell me one day in your Reiki practice, personal practice, what will it be? Um, I do offer myself Reiki every day. And um, it was interesting. I was listening to um, an interview with Franz Stina, and he was saying the the way some people are taught that they're supposed to do a 21-day cleanse after their first class, do Reiki for 21 days. And he was like, well, why would you not you know, he's like, I don't know where that number came from. Maybe it's analogous to Mikhail Sui's time on the mountain. It was 21 days. And then he divined the system of Reiki. And so maybe it's kind of like that. Um, and he said, but it works. It gets people practicing for 21 days. And then you've built this habit. And um, I do ask people to do a 21-day cleanse. That's what I was taught to do. And that's what I do. And you can't take level two until you've done your 21-day self-cleanse. Um, but yeah, then I'm like, why wouldn't you just give yourself Reiki every day? And so I do. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. in the morning, sometimes at night, but definitely every day. Yeah. When I, my first three trainings, I was not told I needed to even offer Reiki myself. Like I wasn't even taught a self-care protocol. Oh. It was for, yeah. So it's, it, I think also that's why it's so important. Like, you know, this is for us. Most of all, I don't think if you didn't take care of yourself, you could go out there and again, when you're working with victims of violence, you need to be centered, you need to be compassionate. And so, yeah, you need to take care of yourself first, right? Yes, yes, absolutely. Can you tell us, because we talk about the police officer, but you also work with the victims of violence and other people. How is that experience? It's really, really rewarding. I would say uh, one of my favorite experiences I've I've had. I mentioned the juvenile detention center earlier, which again is filled with young men of color. Um, I was able to go in there. It, it was actually a long process. Um, I wanted to work on the kids. I wanted to teach the kids Reiki, but you can't just go to the administration of a jail and say, hey, let's do this. <laughs> so there was a woman in there who was very receptive. Um, and she was in volunteer services. And I said, this is what I'd like to do. And she said, I would love that. And I said, why don't we start like this? I'll put together a wellness fair for the staff. Reiki will be part of the wellness fair. After they've all received Reiki, then we want to do just a Reiki-focused event for the kids. 
And then once we've done that, hopefully we could teach a class. And it took two years from that beginning wow. phase to the end phase, partially because she got pregnant and she was gone on maternity leave for a long time. And then she came back and then ultimately the program ended because she went on maternity leave again and she did not come back. But we did, we did the wellness fair for the staff and they loved it and they thought Reiki was great. So now there's like 50 people that work at the jail that have access to Reiki and know about Reiki. Then we did a program where we offered Reiki to they're in pods. So I think it was like 18 kids per pod. So we came back three times and worked on three groups of 18. Um, and then we offered a class and I was able to teach Reiki to a, a group of kids in the jail. And one of the things about this, um, I think that was so profound for me is you think of jail as like you're waiting for your trial. So this isn't prison, it's jail. They're, they haven't been tried yet, not convicted of anything yet. Some of them are in there for a couple of years. They have a high school in the jail for these kids who have not been convicted of anything yet are spending their high school years in jail. For things. And then you have to take, as a volunteer, you have to take this class called um, Priya, which is about preventing rape in prison. So as an adult inside this prison, people might come and tell you, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm being assaulted, I'm being, you know, abused, and then you have to report, you know, this, how to handle this, who do you talk to, who do you report this to, what do you do? And I thought, because the jail, um, when we first started going there, it was, I think, 12-year-olds to 18-year-olds, and then as we were, or 12 to 21-year-olds, and then eight, I just assumed that the younger kids were being preyed upon by the older kids. In this training that you have to take to be a volunteer, they tell you that most of the problems is the guards preying on the kids. Oh, no. Which I was like, no, no, I can't. So getting to be in there and offer those kids Reiki and the, the more profound experience for me was there was a kid in there who seemed very um, aggressive towards me. They had to write an essay why they wanted to take the Reiki class. Everybody wanted to do something different than their normal routine. So she said, if you want people who are interested in Reiki, you're going to have to narrow, narrow this down. So my contact had them write essays. I never saw them. She saw them. She picked the kids that were going to come in for the class. And there was one kid who just seemed really angry and really... Um, he was glaring at me. He seemed bored and angry. And I was a little nervous. Um, and then when I, I have to, I do a quiz at the end of class. So halfway through the class, I was asking some questions that are on the quiz just to see how they were absorbing the information. What are the energy centers in the body? And everyone who'd been kind of chatting along the whole day and seemed like they were taking it all in and really engaged, nobody knew the answer. And the one kid who was sitting there silently glaring at me or staring out the window said, chakras. And I was like, oh, okay. And I said, and who, who was the guy who went up on the mountain and came down with the system of Reiki? And he knew that too. He didn't pronounce it correctly, but he knew the answer and no one else did. So the whole time that I thought he was you know, either bored or angry to be there. He was absorbing all of the information. And um, at the end of the day, they practiced on each other. So he had a partner and they're not allowed to touch. All of this was done without touch just because we're in jail. Nobody's touching anybody. But the, one, the kid sat in the chair and this guy put his hands up like this and the kid in the chair 
And again, this is a high stress environment. There were guards in there that frisked them before they went into the bathroom. They had to ask for permission to go into the bathroom. Like it's a very stressful situation for them. This guy held up his hands and the kid in the chair, like 30 seconds in, slumped over asleep. Like just. And then um, afterwards, they were just chatting really excitedly. And the kid said, I just got so tired. And then the other guy said, I could feel this big cloud above your head. And he was smiling for the first time that day. And he was so excited about what he'd learned. And it was just this incredibly moving experience for me to be part of that and witness that. It was really lovely. I'm so grateful for you both for sharing that, but mostly for being a light in those spaces that they need that light, right? Because at the end, they're in jail, but they're victims. They're they're, they're kids. Yeah. So I really, really, uh, I my heart is just bursting. So thank you so much for all the work you do. It's, it's really fantastic. Thanks. And we're almost done, but I wanted to round up Going a little bit more like to a different place, a lot of people want to switch career, right? We take a Reiki training, our life at corporate America is miserable. We feel we need a purpose and then we quit. We start doing a Reiki business. We don't make money. Six months back, poof, we're back to corporate or disappointed. Or we take the training and don't do anything. And yet you did that switch pretty well. And, and you wrote a book about it. So a little bit, maybe some of the tips or some of the essence of the book, something that if I'm like, okay, Heather, I'm going to quit my advertising job tomorrow, which I won't because I actually love it. I have to say that. <laughs> the creative side. I don't know what side you were, but the creative side is one. Uh, but imagine I don't like it anymore. It's tomorrow. And I'm like, Heather, I want to become a full-time Reiki practitioner. What will be the one thing that you learned that you will share with other people? Well, so I actually became a massage therapist and the Reiki came in like 10 years later, as I said, an embarrassing long time later. Um, I, what would be the one tip? Massage is still rough out there. It's not like, yeah, you come with that. It wasn't easy. I, it was a huge financial shift for me, but quality of life wise, it was the best decision I ever made. And funny anecdote, um, I took out a second mortgage. I quit my job. Took out a second mortgage on my condo, got my check for, I don't remember, $11,000, whatever it was, for the massage program, marched into the admissions office. There was an interview with the the admissions guy, and he asked me, where do you get your massages? And I was like, I've never had a massage in my life. (laughs) He's like, you cannot, I'm not taking your money. You cannot sign up for this class until you have some idea what you're signing up for. It just, it was my path. I knew I was supposed to do it, and I did. Um... I was very resistant to the Reiki part. But in answer to your question, what would be my best bit of advice? I guess I would say offer demos to people because again, and and you said earlier, um, you know, you're giving people a taste, you're giving this away for free. The the Reiki Brigade is, our purpose is twofold. We want to bring peace to the community. We want to offer Reiki to people who are suffering, who are in crisis, who have experienced trauma. We also want to raise awareness of the availability and the benefits of Reiki. So we are educating people. It's not a marketing venture on our part, but certainly we're doing both of those things. We're helping communities and we're raising awareness of Reiki, which then could help communities if they embrace it. So, um, yeah, I think the 10-minute demo is a really great marketing plan. If you are going into business, you got your friends and family or your circle of influence, offer them demos. Reiki is good stuff. People will recognize it and they'll come for it. In my massage practice, that's, that is how I made the shift in my massage practice. People would get a 60 or 90 minute massage 
and I was introducing Reiki. My clients were primarily athletes. I was a sports massage therapist. And now I'm introducing Reiki and they're like, what? I mean, the same way I was, you've got to cut people slack that I had the exact same reaction. But um, I said, okay, so I'll give you the 60 minute massage. You'll get your full 60 minutes of massage. But how about if we do 10 minutes of Reiki after that? So this is extra bonus. And nobody's going to say no to 10 extra minutes on the massage table, even if they have no idea what you're talking about. So they would get 10 minutes of Reiki. And so often people said, oh my gosh, that's stuff at the end. And then they would come in and say, well, now I'm getting my hour, but I want half Reiki and half massage. And many of them just then became Reiki clients. So it was a convenient segue for me because I already had a massage business and I had clients coming in, but really the 10 minute demo is what made people go from what to Yes, I will take that. So that is my biggest piece of advice. Communicate well and give people demos. And that that's a beautiful piece of advice. I have to say, I admire two things, your tenacity, your consistency, and your energy and everything. I just find it fantastic. Like, I want to steal a little bit of, like, that tenacity <laughs> from you and take it and incorporate it. Already stole it, half of it. Thank you. Thank I you. We'll replenish tomorrow. I But I also want you to share something so... And I've mentioned this in every podcast. We always look up to people like you or Francine that you mentioned. And we see like, oh my God, like imagine she's done close to 6,000 mini sessions. She's already like so compassionate. And Francine, he can almost move the world with his mind, whatever one good to him. I said, but we all started and weighed uh, some oops, some mistakes that actually became our biggest lesson. So I would love for you if you have one to share. Well, um, I have several things. I have several oopses <laughs> I could choose from. But what popped to mind when you mentioned that, um, I had learned some energy modalities prior to taking my Reiki class. And one of the biggest things that I learned and the biggest mistake I was making, as I said, I was sometimes taking on my client's stuff. I would feel their knee pain. I would feel their grief or whatever. I, for some reason, well, not for some reason, I know exactly why. My father, when I was younger and I was suffering, he would put his enormous hands on my head and say, if I could take away the pain, I would. And so when I first started learning about energy, I was like, oh my gosh, my dad was doing that for me. He was helping me feel better. He had no idea, but his intention was to take that away. But my visual of that was that I was going to vacuum that up. So before I learned better, I was putting my hands on people that I knew were suffering and I was envisioning that I was sucking it all into my body, <laughs> which if you watch the the Green Mile with Tom Hanks and then the large man who's, I don't know the actor's name, but and the character's name was John Coffey. That is what he did. Do you, do you know what I'm talking about? The Green Mile? Nope. Nope. No. Okay. It's, it's a big famous Hollywood movie. So your, your audience, many of them will know. Um, It was this big healer guy and he didn't, they never specified what practice he was doing, but he was this phenomenal healer. But what he did was people would be in pain and he would suck in and then he would cough and sputter and it would be this big swarm. It looked like a big swarm of flies coming out Uh of his mouth. And that is, I mean, mentally, it was before I ever saw that movie, but it's a perfect description of what I thought I was going to do to help people. I'm going to take this on. So I guess that was one of my biggest um, whoopsies. That's the opposite of what... (laughs) we're doing here that's that's dangerous and painful and don't do it but i love that you share that because i think i've had that question sent to my like patreon podcast like i'm often like i cannot give a session because i get the pain i wanted to people like we're connected right you just don't get attached and let it flow through you and let go out 
And yeah, and especially don't do what you did. Like, don't absorb it like that. But I think also, even if we don't do it like purposefully, a lot of us mirror whatever the other person is sensing is our way of perceiving key. So I think it's always like a great subject to talk about. Like, just don't attach to it. Let it go, right? Let it flow as well. Thank you for sharing that. That that is the first time that oops come up, and I'm really grateful you're sharing it. <laughs> a very it's, a, it's a big one. one. It's a big one. But we all, I don't know, most of us go through that. I'm not going to say all, but I, I, a big number of practitioners actually have faced that and sometimes get scared about why am I feeling so much pain? You know, is there something wrong or am I picking up that sickness? I think for me, like working with people living with cancer was a big lesson, you know, like there is nothing to catch. Like it's just like either you, if not, you cannot work with them. Like, you know, it's, you need to be. And again, I think that for me was such a gift, like the gift that you had with the kids at the jail for me was working with people living with cancer. So, you know, we all find that peace and joy somewhere. I yeah, I yeah. am so, so grateful. I've said it already twice this in the in the podcast, but I'm so grateful first to meet you and for the work you do and mm-hmm. for all the listeners to be able to discover this if they don't know you already. As I thank you for this beautiful, beautiful interview. Thank you for the opportunity and thank you for what you do. Oh, my pleasure. Like I, I get joy out of this. So I, I really get joy about talking to people, discovering their wonderful work and sharing it with everyone else, inspiring the community. And my last question before to go, did I forget anything? I will be sharing all your links in the notes of the podcast. So that way you don't have to ramble all of them. Uh, I really <laughs> encourage people to reach out to you either for training, if they want to volunteer, if they're in Chicago, and again, we're going to put that link. I think that class on outreach, please like give me the link. I think it's going to like be very useful for a lot of people. Uh, anything that I didn't touch base that you may want to add? I don't think so. I've really enjoyed talking to you. We covered a lot of bases I didn't expect to cover, but thank you very much. Okay, perfect. Thank you so, so much. Thank you for listening to the Dive Into Reiki podcast. You can read a full transcript of today's interview at diveintoreiki.com slash blog. If you found this episode helpful, please hit the subscribe button, leave me a review, or just share it with your friends. It makes all the difference. Thank you. Gracias. Merci.